Hey Junior Nation, now more than ever, exclusive, entertaining, and free content from the world of Dale Earnhardt Jr. is no further away than your fingertips. It's all thanks to Dale Jr.'s Dirty Mo' Radio presented by Exalta. All eight Dirty Mo' Radio podcasts are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and of course, DaleJr.com. This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. I was happy for Dad after it was over and he had won, but I don't like to finish second. This is the Daytona 500 in Thank God! It's an accomplishment that we'll not forget. There's a lot of satisfaction in winning the championship. Jeff Gordon out of turn number four. He will lay claim to his first ever Winston Cup victory, and it comes in the Coca-Cola 600. Rick Hendrick, uh, hope I'm with you for a long time. At the end of the day, you still want to see a lot of people in those stands. I am history. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Back in the day. With Steve Richards and Ron LeMasters. NASCAR history is a rich tapestry of speed, personality, and great racing. Here at Back in the Day, we celebrate that history by keeping it alive, just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. did on the original TV show. We'll take important dates, races, and trends in NASCAR and pass them along to you. Here comes Back in the Day from the Exalta Studio inside Junior Motorsports. Hi everyone, I'm Ron LeMasters. NASCAR fans remember 2001 for a lot of reasons, but the main one is the loss of the legendary Dale Earnhardt. On February 18th of that year, the sport suffered a loss it is feeling in many ways even now, 16 years on. Of course, on the heels of that tragic loss, there was more pain in the offing come September in New York City. As always, however, NASCAR Nation and its largest tribe endured. Earnhardt Nation became Junior Nation and got stronger and more engaged as the years sped past. What else was going on in the world back in 2001? That Ravens sideline is ready to explode. The Baltimore Ravens won their first Super Bowl over the New York Giants. Who are you when I'm not looking? Blake Shelton topped the country charts that week. J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And The Lord of the Rings hit theaters for the first time. That brings us to our topic for today. On March 11th, Kevin Harvick earned his first NASCAR Cup Series victory at Atlanta Motor Speedway, driving Dale Earnhardt's GM Goodwrench Chevrolet. Gordon is down low. Harvick is up high. Side by side out of four. Gordon races to his inside. They touch at the stripe. Kevin Harvick on the outside with a ghost of Dale Earnhardt looking on in the same car that Dale Earnhardt won this race with last year. Kevin Harvick may have pulled off one of the all-time upsets in NASCAR history. It wasn't the intimidator behind the wheel, but seeing his car in victory lane helped heal, temporarily at least, the most grievous wounds caused by the tragedy at Daytona. Let's bring in Steve Richards, longtime broadcaster and pit reporter for the Performance Racing Network, as well as the producer of our show back in the day. Steve, Harvick's victory at Atlanta came at the best possible time for the fans struck dumb by the death of a racing hero. Yeah, that's right, Ron. Uh, Steve Park driving a Dale Earnhardt Incorporated Chevrolet won the race at Rockingham the week after Daytona. Michael Waltrip won the Daytona 500 to open up the season, also, of course, in a DEI car. And, you know, Park's victory at Rockingham, I was there in victory lane. It was very emotional that day. That helped some, but not as much, of course, as Harvick's follow-up triumph at Atlanta. Yeah, because, you know, Steve was driving a DEI car. It wasn't a children's car. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Dale behind the wheel, obviously. Right. And, and trust me, I, you know, I know a lot of Earnhardt Nation people. They thought it was over. I mean, th- that car would never win again. Mm-hmm. You know, the number three was gone. They had they were looking and searching for absolution and where to go next. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Harvick comes out and beats who, of all people, 
Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon, yeah. For a victory at Atlanta. Uh, luckily for us, uh, our Performance Racing Network, PRN had the race that day at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. It was the Cracker Barrel 500. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Dale Earnhardt, not in the race car. Kevin Harvick was. But in victory lane, Harvick kind of felt Dale Earnhardt's presence. Well, he's happy and he's high-fiving everybody going across the car. Kevin Congratulations, buddy. You, you not only won your first Winston Cup race today, but you were you mended a lot of hearts. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, by far the, the most difficult thing I can do without getting getting too emotional. So uh, that thing ended up pretty much the way it was last year at this time, and same guy on top. And as I can say is this one's for Dale Earnhardt and his whole team, and they stood behind me, and I gave it all I've got. Let's talk about you, the racer, today, because you just won your first Winston Cup race, bud, and your third start, and uh, you hustled this thing all day long. They gave you good pit stops. Did you ever think you could possibly win it, though? I mean, Winston Cup races are not easy to come by. I mean, this uh, I just can't put it into words how we're feeling right now. And uh, I think Dale Earnhardt was in the passenger seat of this car today. Somebody was making it go a lot better than I was, so... Uh, Take me through the last lap, bud. You had Jeff Gordon, a three-time Winston Cup champion, chasing you. I just, the spotter Danny Keller was telling me, he says the 24 is coming, and, and he had a good car. He probably had the best car. He had some unfortunate stuff happen to him. and I just gave it everything we had. I moved up. Uh, the bottom kind of went away for us there with the last 10 laps and uh, just came out ahead. You believe in magic? <laughs> Somebody better. Congratulations. A great win. Thank you. That was pretty cool. That was. You know, and... and Really, if if Dale was actually riding in the car, it's more impressive because he won with more weight in the car. (laughs) I I joke, obviously, because we still do now because it it was such a cataclysmic event. Mm -hmm. It would be akin to something happening to Michael Jordan in the middle of a basketball game, Mm -hmm. you know. Or, you know, he's from North Carolina and I'm from Indiana, so that's pretty much blasphemy right there. (laughs) But, no, you know, you get the point. And the fact that he was, you know, Kevin Harvick is a very controlled individual, and he wasn't that day. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody was. I think I think there was a lot of there were a lot of tears. There was a lot of um, it's like that. It's uh, what do they call it? Catharsis. Mm-hmm. Big word. Big right. word. Right. But I mean, it, and it was cathartic in the way that all of a sudden it may not be Dale Senior. It may not be the Intimidator, but it's happy. You mm-hmm. know, and, and what turned into happy, I guess. Right. That that is a major deal, and it everybody points to the Daytona 500 when we lost Dale Earnhardt. As the big thing. But, you know, after that, I think was the more impressive performance by fans, by drivers, by NASCAR. You know, I I think it was really, really kind of a watershed moment. And uh, Harvick talked about uh, his thoughts after he watched a replay of the race. We talked to Kevin a week later, and here is what uh, he said about that. Well, I was thinking, what in the hell are you doing going high on the last lap? (laughs) But... uh... Uh, I mean, everything worked out, and, and when I went home and watched it, uh, I realized why there was 180,000 pe- or 120,000 people standing up trying to tear the fence down. But uh, it was neat. I mean, it brought it, it made my palms sweat when I got home and had a big lump in my throat. But uh, uh, I think the part where that really meant the most was after the race to see how much of a real person. I mean, I already knew this, but to, for the whole world to see how much of a real person Richard Childress is, and and. Uh, we're all human, and, and, and we, all, we all have feelings, and, and to see him show them and, and know how much that, that Dale meant and know how much that that, that win meant to everybody is, uh, 
Uh, you don't have to put it into words. And here is Richard Childress in victory lane after Harvick's win at Atlanta. Uh, it's unbelievable. You know, I just, I don't, you know, I'm kind of like Kevin said. He said, I don't know if to stand here and cry or be happy. You know, we're, we're, we're really happy for the race team and uh, for everybody that's followed the, the three car and everything. And uh, last four or five laps, I just prayed for Dale to help us, and he did. What's this mean up the last three weeks? Seems like it was a release for the whole team to have this happen. We'll never get over what happened at Daytona. We could win every race the rest of our life and never get over that. But, the, you know, we got to keep going on, and this is what Dale wanted to see happen with this race team, and we're doing what he wanted us to do. Are you amazed at Kevin Harvick today and what he showed you? You know, I've, I've had confidence in Kevin from the first time I seen him over in California, and I knew he could drive a race car. He, he's just a cool, no pressure, nothing bothers him. And right there at the end, he said he knew what he had to do. You know, that's that's interesting. And, and Childress is not the most emotional guy either. No. But the fact that, you know, they had gone through this thing. It had been less than a month, mm-hmm. you know, three weeks, really. And ups and downs. And you got to, you you know, you know as well as I do, for, you know, from being around here, you got to get the car ready to go to the next race no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they were able to do that and win one mm-hmm. within three weeks I mean, that's that's pretty stout right there. Well, of course, Childress alluded to the fact that they moved on. Dale would not have wanted them to quit. And Harvick said after he won the race that that's exactly what he thought Earnhardt would want them to do, is to keep on racing. I don't think he'd want to see what, what he and Richard Childress had built over 20 years go to waste. And I think that's what's fueling us right now. Uh, uh, we want we want to keep everything going for, for, for him and... and um, Let's go out and do some things that are that are off the wall and, and knock some records down and, and do whatever we can because uh, we're only going to have one chance to, to give it everything we've got for him. And you know that's perfect. If you're going, that's almost a primer for dealing with a tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know? And you know the fact that he ended up beating Gordon by point zero zero six seconds—that's mm-hmm. six thousandths of a second. Right, right. You know that's quicker than an eye blink. Um, first of all, just doing that normally right on a normal day is very difficult to do and doing it with a guy sitting beside you critiquing your every move in dale earnhardt senior uh, <laughs> we're alluding to the previous cut right but you know i mean he he did it and harvick has always been able to do things that and it doesn't look like he's doing them mm-hmm. but he he manages to, to he makes look, it look easy exactly even though it's not you know i, I hate people like that <laughs> no i <laughs> I don't. I, sorry, Kevin. Sorry, Kelly Lumsden. That that would be a bad thing. But uh, I just thought that added a little more to what was already, you know, already a gigantic story. Mm-hmm. Guess who got to interview Jeff Gordon afterwards? That would be somebody sitting in this room? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. I, yeah, I did. I did. Unbelievable. <laughs> Six one thousandths of a second. Same margin that Dale beat Bobby Labonte here. Can, can they measure that much distance because i thought i got him man i tell you that was a great great race really really proud of these guys on this dupont chevrolet but i'm really proud of kevin harvick and that richard childers race and that's a just a great great win for them and he did he did what it took to win he kept you know his nose clean he was up there all day long had a good car and he made the move you know he took him three wide and passed those two guys that were battling and uh you know i i gave it my best effort and it was a close one i thought i might have got him but uh, i'm just real proud of uh the way this dupont chevrolet team's performed right now you battled Dale Earnhardt for years so many memorable finishes did you have a sense that Dale Earnhardt was in front of you today when I was driving that eight, uh, driving around that eight car did man he was driving the wheels off the you know Dale Jr. was driving the wheels off of his car um, Harvick he's just doing a great job he's smooth he's aggressive uh, it, it, it's it's neat to see that thing running like that and uh, 
you know, they, they're they're just they're doing their their job, and uh, he's driving the wheels off of it. And I think there's uh, a a little more something going on. Somebody's watching over him and smiling down right now. And now uh, we just uh, you know want to want to just say congratulations to those guys. What what could what could be better? I mean, that's so much better than going out and just leading 400 miles of a 500 mile race to get your first win. Just to to go out and, and do it as we did and. and uh, almost the same way Dale Earnhardt did a year ago, and there's so many things that, that played out through the day, and that go to show you that, that there's somebody still in our sport watching over us. And I, uh, I told somebody, I said the intimidator was was sitting there with me and, and helping me right along, but uh, uh, pretty awesome feeling. You know, there's no way that a couple of race results could make up for the loss of Dale Earnhardt. You know, but life in NASCAR are games that turn on inches. This was a signal in some small way that life could return to normal eventually. You know, and while feelings and psyches were still raw, the earth continued to spin on, the sun came up every day, and sometime in the future, Dale Earnhardt's loss would be absorbed in the way that all things must. It would fade into the past. That's not to say that the pain would ever go away, you know, because we work here at Junior Motorsports. Mm-hmm. We're reminded in small ways of what was lost that day in Daytona every day we come to work. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, and, you know, Dale Jr. had some thoughts about that, I, I think you told me. Well, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have blamed Junior if he would have just hung it up. Oh, I know. You know? I mean, his dad wouldn't have wanted him to just quit racing. No, his dad would have kicked his butt. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, you know, I know Junior, if he couldn't have won, he would have wanted his dad's car to win. Right. And, um, you know, after the race, I actually got to uh, talk to Junior about uh, his reaction to Kevin's victory. Can you put into words what it means to see your father's car in victory lane? Um, well, I know Kevin pretty good, and he's doing a great job. Um, there's uh, The competitor in me is a little jealous, but uh, I'm real happy for Richard, and especially the team, um, because I know how much my father meant to those guys. And uh, it, it really uh, makes me feel good to go home tonight knowing that them guys has got something to celebrate. And this team right now, it's run, ran so well today. Is that the best medicine for you? Um, yeah, just getting out there. I mean, I had a good time last week in Vegas. I thought we ran pretty decent there. Uh, but whether we're running good or not, just being on the racetrack, that's what i got to do. Racing's always the best medicine. Yeah, and, you know, you remember at Rockingham, the race that Steve Park won, he finished. He hit the, hit the wall, you know, a handful of laps in, finished 43rd, and went home. Right, right. You know, and truth to tell, I don't see how he got in the car that day. Yeah, me really. either. A lot of people don't see how he did. And, you know... Uh, it is amazing to you know we we talk a lot about Junior Nation and how strong it is and how resilient it is and how how excitable it is. Mm-hmm. When Dale Senior died, a lot of those people looked looked around and said, "What do I do now?" Yeah, exactly. You know, my my father, I've talked about a long time on our our podcast last year, historically speaking, mm-hmm. diehard Dale Earnhardt Senior fan. Right. And he's been covering motorsports. He he grew up in the Midwest where you know sprint car drivers, open wheel drivers would in in the fifties. There'd be three or four or five of them killed a week. Mm-hmm. You know, I exaggerate, but I mean, there was a lot of it. Right. So he was not unused to having people go from the <laughs> the racing scene. Mm-hmm. He just about hung it up. I mean, seriously, quit watching NASCAR. D- he didn't think he could go on with it. He he eventually came back, of course, and became a junior fan. Thank goodness. Um, he used to tape the races if he was going to be out on Sunday because my mother would be would drag him out and make him do things. Mm. Or no, uh, God help me if Mom ever hears this podcast. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that there was a lot of that after Daytona that right. day, and that's I think that's what made this race so cathartic for them. You know, and it just it sort of you know, the the Earth was going to continue to spin. 
That's I think that's the message here. Well, one of the big questions was, will the fans accept Kevin Harvick in Dale's car? Mm. And, uh, you know, Harvick was pleased to see that a lot of the fans uh, were accepting him. I mean, that was, that was my biggest concern, and... Uh, I think Richard and, and everybody at RCR put that to rest but before I had to get in the, in the car at Rockingham, and uh, that was my biggest concern getting into the cars. Um, I didn't want the number three on there, and I didn't want it to be black, and uh, I just had a lot of concerns that I probably shouldn't have had, but, but I had them, and, um, you know, he, he put all that to rest, and um, he had the same concerns, and, and, and uh, luckily everything has turned out as well as it has. Kevin said he was pleased that many Earnhardt fans had stuck with him. It's a compliment in a way that, that they've accepted you. I mean, when you, when you can get the, the loyalist fans in the world to, to accept you as, as their driver, I mean, uh, that's a pretty big, a pretty big uh, responsibility in itself, let alone, uh, you know, something, that, something to be proud of. So, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of responsibilities that go along with, with Dale Earnhardt's fans, but I think uh, they're pretty intelligent, too. So they understand the situation, and, and they understand that we can, only, we can only be ourselves, and I think that's all they expect. And, Everything that he has done is, is going to sit in our minds for a long, long time, but, but you can't repeat some of the greatest things that ever happened in our sport. That was 2001. Ten years later, in 2011, Kevin talked about you know, the pressure of replacing Dale Earnhardt in that car, and believe it or not, he said that at first he didn't want to have anything to do with Dale Earnhardt. I embraced it zero in the beginning. I, 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 wanted, to do, I wanted to change the color of the car. I wanted new sponsors. He wore a white suit. I wanted a black suit. I wanted zero to do with it. And as you step back and, and you get a little bit older and, and you really start listening and you really start understanding, people aren't trying to make you into him. They're just, you know, it's just a part of our company that, that um, you know, you have to be comfortable with. And I've gotten, I've gotten comfortable with that. I mean, I think it's a very important part of our sport, not just RCR in general. Um, and obviously his legacy is going to be here for a long time, forever in the sport. And for me... It's really just about you know trying to win a championship and win races and, and do your thing, and, and those comparisons are compliments in the end. So I feel like we've been able to establish myself personally in, in the sport, and, and uh, you know I think we've done a lot of the had a lot of the same things accomplished uh, with winning some of the big races, and I'm comfortable with that now. I mean it's it's just a part of RCR, and it's a part of my car, and it's going to be that way forever, and I and I, I enjoy it. Well, forever is not forever because Harvick <laughs> moved on to Stuart Haas and won a championship. Right. And, you know, what number was Wally Pip? Wally Pip. We don't know. Exactly. That's right. That's why he thought that. I mean, because he was Lou Gehrig, basically. Yeah. Wally Pip, for those of you who – you all are old enough to understand this, but he was the guy that Lou Gehrig replaced at, at first, first base. base for the yeah. Yankees, and he never played again. Yeah. But, you know, Harvick is – Harvick's a unique individual, man. He's he's fun loving. He's devious. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not 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 dishonest. Not in a bad way. But what he'll he will surprise you at some of the stuff he thinks about. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen him with Kevin Harvick face, which is a lot like Stu Grimson face, which is they called him the Grim Reaper. <laughs> he's a goon in hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know he's he has a, a wicked sense of humor, but he he is very used to doing things his own way mm-hmm. and stepping in. That had to be way, way, way outside his comfort zone, I sure, think. absolutely. And, you know, first of all, Richard Childers is not exactly a shrinking violet as far as personality goes. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you've got people there who were long-time Earnhardt lieutenants. You know, our own J.R. Rhodes, mm-hmm. who uh, works here at uh, Junior Motorsports. Uh, you know, a lot of the people that, that worked at DEI, you know, eventually were Earnhardt lieutenants. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's got to be. And he wasn't very old back then, coming out of Bakersfield. You know, the most famous exports heretofore from Bakersfield have been Merle Haggard and Buck Owens. <laughs> That's you right. Know? And, and, and Casey Mears. Casey Mears, of course. And, and, <laughs> Believe you know, it or not. And Rick Mears, too. Yeah, yeah the Mears. People, yeah. But, you know, I, as a Foyt fan, I didn't like the Mears. <laughs> not, not for anything other than they keep beating AJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's a really, it's a wild story, and it's stranger than, than life, I think, because what, what could have happened better? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't bring Dale back. Right. But you can continue the legacy, and I think that's what this victory did. It connected us when, at a time when we needed something to grab onto. And even back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> hence our show. <laughs> A week after Harvick won that Atlanta race, he uh, assured the fans that he won't ever try and be Dale Earnhardt. Earnhardt was was who I grew up watching race and, and who I always rooted for when I was was younger and, and up to the day of the day that everything happened. So my, my dad was a Dale Earnhardt fan, and, and that's kind of who not only I grew up racing, but that's how he wanted me to race, and, and that's how uh, I was. That's how I've been taught to race. Uh, Nobody's ever going to race like Dale Earnhardt. Nobody's ever going to be Dale Earnhardt, and, and I'm not going to try and be Dale Earnhardt because nobody ever will. So pretty pretty lucky to be in the circumstances uh, that have turned out as, as well as they have. Interestingly enough, you know, our own boss, boss man Dale, mm-hmm. has said the same exact thing. Yeah. Different words, better yeah. accent. Yeah. But he, he said they, he can't be his dad, you know. Kyle nobody. Petty can never be Richard. Exactly. You know. And, and it's, it to be quite frank, and use salty language, it kind of sucks to be... You know, the relative of somebody so popular if you do the same thing for a living. Well, your dad was a sports writer. Right. You're a sports writer. Right. You know? I, I was never, he, he always said that he taught me everything he, or I knew, but not everything he knows. So, and there's a, there's a lot of that. Yeah, and it know? happens a lot in families. That's right. You know? Well, you know, I think for um, for this, something good came out of something bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Junior Nation is alive and well, and. We're still going strong, and the Earnhardt name is strong. And and thanks to Kevin Harvick, that got a boost in the arm when it needed it the most. This week's featured segment, as always, is called Beat the Buzzer. It's very simple. We've managed to entice the world's foremost historian on NASCAR racing, the historian for the NASCAR Hall of Fame, Buzz McKim, to join us each week for this segment. And as if that isn't enough, our listeners can win prizes, too. Buzz, welcome to Back in the Day. Well, thank you, guys. I'm tickled to be here. We just had the Daytona 500. Give us your thoughts from a historical perspective. You know, it looks like there was something for everybody, you know, trying the new rules and all that sort of thing out, the new format. You know, long-suffering Kurt Busch finally got that win, and Ryan Blaney was nipping at his heels. And uh, it was just, you know, Tony Stewart won as, a, as a, uh, an owner. And how about Tony Gibson? I mean, this guy was like total elation, you know, to win the big race in his hometown. Very, very cool. A lot of drama, a lot of action. Uh, yeah, a lot of controversy. <laughs> you can't get any better than that, right? Yeah. Well, it, that's going to be one for the history books, and, and I look forward to seeing how you uh, how you all represent that down at the NASCAR Hall of Fame in Uptown Charlotte. Oh, yeah, I think we'll come up with something kind of flashy and sharp and uh, looking forward to the challenge. Okay, so let's set this up for you. The week before each episode, we'll put out the call for Junior Nation and Dirty Mo followers to take to our Twitter accounts at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio and post with a hashtag back in the day and tagged with at Exalta. Of those, Buzz will represent one responder in Beat the Buzzer against the Wiley co-hosts, which are me and Steve. Uh, if the buzzer answers all three correctly, and I have to tell you we're 0 for 1 going in, one responder chosen randomly from that week's submitters will win a prize from either Dirty Mo Radio or Exalta. Okay. This week, Buzz is playing for 
at Beast1624 for that prize from Exalta or Dirty Mo Radio. Sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Are you in Beast mode, Buzz? Oh, buddy. Yeah, I'm t- I've am been in Beast mode all week. <laughs> all right. Question number one. Where did Dale Earnhardt Jr. finish in the Atlanta race in 2001? That's the one where Kevin oh. Harvick beat uh, Gordon. Yeah, that's right. And how cool. That was uh, Harvick's third start. How ironic is that, huh? Right. Mm-hmm. Amazing. But, uh, yeah, Dale Jr., he uh, he finished 15th. And uh, he was driving for DEI. Of course, mm-hmm. he had the number eight Budweiser car. And, uh, yeah, it looks like he, uh, he did pretty good. Didn't get to lead any of the uh, laps that day. But he started 17th, finished 15th, and um, and that was pretty good. Yeah, he was in his first, uh, I believe that was his first full season, if I'm not mistaken. It was. Uh-huh. Darn yeah. it, there's my shot. Now, Steve, you're up. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> you ready for number two? Oh, buddy. Okay. Lay it on me. All right, here is number two. Back in 2001, Harvick beating Gordon was the closest finish in NASCAR history. At the time, which race now holds that title? The, the race of 2003 at Darlington, uh, it was a finish between Ricky Craven and uh, Kurt Busch. It was two one-thousandths of a second. Yep. In fact, we have a major exhibit uh, on that finish right here in the NASCAR Hall of Fame with Ricky Craven's car. And if I'm not mistaken, that, that, that two one-thousandths of a second was all equaled at Talladega. Yeah, that's right. That's Darn right. it. Yep. All right. You know, we're we're going to have to – I think we're going to have to really plot – for the next one. I was at that race too in Darlington. I was standing at the start finish line buzz and I I could tell really? that, I could tell that Craven won the race. Even Ricky didn't know until he went down the back stretch. But I, I could wow. I could tell. And I, I positioned myself because it was so close for so many laps they were battling back and forth, door to door. And uh, I figured, mm-hmm. well, something might happen really cool here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stand right at right at the start finish line and kinda look across. <laughs> So. I, I got to tell you, the last five laps of that race were—I mean—that was some of the best racing in the history of mankind. Absolutely, absolutely. I had already departed for Concord. I missed it. <laughs> Darn it! Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. All right. So Buzz is now five for five. Question number three, <laughs> and I'm hoping this will get you. Which DEI driver finished 43rd in that 2001 Atlanta race? And why was this significant? Oh, very interesting. Yeah, uh, okay, the last one, poor old Steve Park. You know, he finished back, uh, 43rd, and he uh, he qualified way back in 32nd. He had uh, engine problems, and he kind of kind of conked out there. But, you know, he went on to win a couple of races for DEI, and the one I think that really stands out is the uh, Watkins Glen event, which was considered Steve's home track. That was really, really a neat, neat moment. He did it again. <sighs> Darn it. I'm sorry. Well, you no, know, actually, actually, Beast1624 really, really yeah. appreciates this. And, you know, we, it, we're kind of, we're trying to stump you, but we, see, we're not world-famous historians. We're Oh, I see. Okay, well, I just, I want it to be fun. You know, it I is can, fun. I can, okay. We'll I mean, get, I, yeah. I can throw a couple if you want. You know? No, 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 don't throw those, because <laughs> no, no, that no. means they don't win. <laughs> okay. But hey, here, you know what's neat about this race in Atlanta? It is the 2500th cup series race that's, wow that's true that is right isn't that great that's and 20. you know they they've run at uh, 156 different tracks there have been 2586 drivers take the start and uh it's 185 i'm sorry 186ers have won at least one race 
and you know they're talking about the uh the 156 tracks there should have been 157 tracks because on august 56 nascar scheduled a race at tulsa oklahoma and after 32 laps the dust was so bad that lee petty parked his car in the pits ran across the track took the red flag from the starter stand and stopped the race himself what? nascar <laughs> NASCAR refunded all the money back to the spectators and never rescheduled the race. And when was this? 1956, August of 56. In? Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. Now, you mentioned NASCAR's 2500th? 2500th Cup race. There, There's a driver that's starting his, his 400th. Do you know which one? Ooh, 400th. 400th career start. Okay, that would have been about uh, probably 12, 13 years. Uh, did I, did I stump Jimmy him? Did I stump him? You got me. Uh, ah. You got me. Well, no, at B1624 still, still wins. He still wins. Denny Hamlin is the correct answer. Oh, well, he's not that old. That right. <laughs> Good Lord. 400 starts. Yeah. Uh, yep. That's pretty cool. All right, now now we are officially the old guy, old Muppets that yell at all the other Muppets. <laughs> On the Muppet Show. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I stumped him. Uh, well, all right. That, all right, Buzz, that, that makes us feel feel like we can compete now. And, good, and good. At least yeah, I we, can. We, we wonder, <laughs> yeah, okay. Right, you know, hey, yeah, I'll throw you guys a fish every once in a while. That's hey, okay. Yeah. We'll and take it. We'll be a pelican. We'll yep. take it. Uh, yeah. Well, Buzz, thanks yeah. so much for coming on with us. Uh, you know, kind of tell everybody where they can get hold of you at the uh, NASCAR Hall of Fame and, uh, and when they can mm-hmm. come down. Yeah, yeah, we're open every day from 10 to 6, and you can catch us at www.nascarhall.com, or you can catch us on all the other social media. I guess that's plural for media, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I'm here most of the time, and I'd love to meet you. I'd love to hear your story and uh, show you some of the highlights. We're going to have to get you a banner for kicking our butts so bad. <laughs> okay, hey, take me to lunch someday. How's that? That's right. That's right. We got it. We could do that. We'll do it. Oh, super. Thanks, Buzz. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. Have a great weekend. That's it for this episode of Back in the Day. Thanks to Buzz McKim, our resident NASCAR guru, for playing along with us today and beating us again. Keep an eye on at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio Twitter accounts for the opportunity to play Beat the Buzzer. And remember, history is made every day, so be a part of it with Back in the Day. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo Radio. Hey, Mike, so as we're sitting here in the newly renovated Exalta studio, let's talk Exalta. First of all, this studio is awesome, is it not? Oh, my gosh. It's huge. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah, we are very appreciative of that. But Exalta is everywhere. I mean, we just left Daytona. Thousands of people went into their seats through the Exalta injector. I myself, I'm going to brag a little bit here, (laughs) but I actually watched the duels from the Exalta suite. It was fabulous. Uh, you know, Exalta is a co-primary on Dale Jr.'s car. That car, you will never miss it. It is so bright, colorful. It's amazing. Uh, and it's going to run at Phoenix. But, yeah, Exalta is everywhere. They are really big supporters of our digital platform and our race teams. We didn't even mention the fact that Exalta is going to be sponsoring William Byron. That announcement came out this week. And they have a brand-new building that they just built right next to Hendrick Motorsports. I've had the privilege to see the outside. Now, I'm really excited to go and take a tour of the inside. It's absolutely incredible just what they've been doing. Totally. So we appreciate Exalta. How can we follow them on social? You can follow them at Exalta Racing on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.